This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we have your real estate retirement plan simplified with Jenny Bayless and Chris Lopez. These are top tier investors out of the Colorado area in the United States. And uh, I am super happy. Did I just do a twang? I didn't even mean to do a twang. I, I, and y'all going to love it. Y'all going to love this episode. Uh, but no, but seriously, these guys, we, we've we just, the, the hits keep coming. Uh, we, had, uh, we had David Green on recently. Now we've got Jenny and Chris and uh, phenomenal advice. Yeah. You know what? I, I said uh, off air to you, I'm not a, a nationalist or no, I am a nationalist. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm a Canadian nationalist. That's for sure. Yeah. But uh, some of these top tier uh, people we've had on from the States are right. like raising the bar. This is a uh, Phenomenal guests. Um, and the nice thing is they're operating in markets that are very similar to Vancouver, right? Like Colorado, yeah. the market's been on fire for what, the last five, 10 years. And their investing strategies have had to change. And they and we kind of walk through uh, what they're doing and how it's changed over time and why, uh, where the opportunities lie right now. Yeah. Really interesting conversation, as was with David Green in the Bay Area, where, where you know, the market conditions are very similar. So, uh, and nice crossover, really great to get these guys' uh, perspectives. And man, 
Yeah, lots Make, of useful making information. Making you rethink your maple leaf tattoo, and I and I <laughs> and I know what the maple leaf symbolizes, but what do the flames symbolize? <laughs> That's the real question. Uh, I was young. Yeah. Anyways, uh, uh, but what else do we have before we get to this conversation with Jenny and Chris, man? Uh, what else do we have? I'm just thinking of what that tattoo might look like. Um, what else do we have? Well, uh, it's a it's a week before Christmas, right? And right. this is and all through the house. <laughs> Not a creature was stirring. Yeah, uh, this is it's it's a great time. I feel like all things uh, considered, uh, it's a good time in life. It's a pretty great week of the year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is still where kids are still in school. You still get up and and leave the house. Right. Uh, in our case, at least. Um, but it's like your your days. You're doing about what forty percent. I feel right. like we're rolling at about forty percent this week. Yeah. Um. And yeah. It, man. It, uh, yeah, it's to be cherished. It is. It is. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be a cozy. I mean, I guess with everybody staying at home and, uh, spending time at home, first of all, I think there's probably a lot of people consuming a lot of movies and books and television, right. media and yeah. that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, hey, here's, the th- so one thing that has come out of this year, um, right. The other day, it was actually like I woke up and, and I thought, Oh, I got a great idea. Like it's, you know, I'm going to go out, yes. buy uh, a Christmas carol, the Charles Dickens, you know, movie. No, I, no, book, 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 book. Okay, book. Charles Dickens book. And I'm going to read it out loud to my, uh, <laughs> my family. And this Wait, is going to be a new trip. Well, I, you know, and she might, yeah, I was kind of like, I'll just read it and they'll, you know, they'll be enthralled by my, uh, this will be like a tradition where, yeah, this is a new cozy. tradition I'm starting yeah. this year with my nine year old daughter. And if my wife wants to be involved, uh, where I'm going to read, <laughs> okay, but go on, where I'm going to read, uh, a Christmas carol. Yeah. So I went out, um, two days ago. I bought it um, uh, at a new bookstore in Hastings, Iron Dogs Books. Great, great bookstore. Anyway, bought the book, got home. You know, first off, I didn't realize this thing's 120 pages long, 120, yeah. 130 pages long. So, uh, you know. It's not that long. Well, it's not. A, no, it's not that long if you're reading by yourself. But if you're reading out loud to a nine-year-old yeah. over the course of nine days, like I was like, man, we're this is going to be a bit of a slog here. Like, yeah. We're going to have to put in some. Some serious time and energy to to get through this. Yeah, and she um, hates it probably. Yeah, right? well, no, yeah, she's not she's not super excited about this whole what? this whole new who's, this whole who's this project this whole for? tradition <laughs> that I'm starting. Yeah, but uh, so it, you know the worst part is right is that it's in old English. Well, it's not probably not old English, but it's it was written in 1830s, I think. Like, right, right, like right, it is right. definitely. You know, I think I get the gist of it because of the cartoon, the Disney cartoon I've seen a thousand times. <laughs> and, but if and you, your master's in literature. <laughs> that helps. Yeah. yeah. But like Jacob Marley, da, da, da. Like, yeah, and it yeah. does, it hardly makes sense. Right. Uh, so, yeah, a bit of a bust with my nine-year-old. But Yeah. Uh, you know what, though? The best thing about uh, – that is the, the best Christmas story, though, the – like outside of maybe the Christmas story, that, that, <laughs> the movie The Christmas Story. But uh, that is actually the best, uh, what, narrative, I guess? or uh, Yeah. Well, uh, that's why I was thinking, like, let's go to the source. I've actually, uh, you know, never read any Dickens. Yeah. I'm embarrassed to say. Yeah. The, the other thing is, is though, like, we just watched uh, – every year we do Scrooged. The Bill Murray movie, which is essentially that. Yeah, same storyline. Uh, and in this year, actually, somebody recommended it was The Family Man, the Nick Cage. 
Nick Cage. I kind of forgot about Nick Cage, but Nick Cage is... Uh, he's a compelling, he's good a to have compelling him back. character on screen. That's for sure. <laughs> it was good to have him back in the household. Um, but anyways, we had, I just watched Raising Arizona. Anyway, oh yeah, go on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving Las Vegas. Um, but anyways, he, you know what? That, that, the family man is pretty good. And again, it's based off of it's just uh, that narrative. Dickens. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, I actually think that would be good to just, I'm sure there's a Reddit thread on this. Movies based on that story, and I bet there's like ten or fifteen. Just do those. It's Christmas. a classic, yeah. So, just, so just, what you're telling they're me all is, the same. It's like it's like the guy who's only worried about cash flow, yeah, <laughs> and his condos, who never spends time at home with his family, and then uh, you need a ghost to to point out what he's actually missing out on, right? Um, which is. Uh, his principal residence because it's tax free. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, no, no I'm just kidding. Uh, but anyways, what else do we got? What else do we got before we got to our talk with Chris and Jenny? Uh, we have the Sellers Club. Yes. Now, now, a lot of people are not thinking of selling at this point in the year. That's right. for sure. And you shouldn't be. I mean, enjoy enjoy this time with your family. Yeah. But one thing I would do is sign up for the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. Sellers Club. Yes. This is still the hottest club in town. It is. Even at this point of the year. Yeah. And you know what? The Sellers Club is all about getting you resources for free that will help you plan to get top dollar in the shortest amount of time when you sell your property. And really, it's a, it's a bit of a process. We have this, this, this one document called start on launch date, which is the sold plan. That's right. And uh, basically what you do is you pick a launch date and you work backwards and we and we tell you exactly how to do that. So if you are thinking about listing in the new year, this is the time you want to get those resources so that you're ready and get in touch if you're thinking about selling because we can definitely help you with that. Absolutely. We've talked to actually quite a few people over the last week that are talking about March, yes. March, April even. So uh, exactly. they, it's never too early. That is for sure. Right. Uh, also, Adam... This podcast is sponsored by Oakland Realty. It this is. This is our real estate brokerage. Head over to oakland.com slash join and type in VRP2020 if you're a new agent, an aspiring agent. Been around the block a couple of times, but you're a little sick with uh, where you're at. You need, you're looking for a change. Oakland is where you want to be or at least learn more. So once again, Adam, oakwin.com slash join VRP 2020. Tell them we sent you. Huge holiday surprise is in it for you. That's right. Absolutely, for sure. That's why you type in VRP 2020. You're right. Exactly. Um, But Matt, uh, without further ado, why don't we cut to this conversation? Because this is one really, if you are an investor, if you're somebody that wants to build a real estate portfolio, I really think that Chris and Jenny do a great job of just simplifying things. And uh, the advice here is invaluable for sure. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Jenny Bayless, Colorado Springs investor-friendly realtor, and Chris Lopez, Denver investor-friendly realtor. How are you both doing today? Doing great. Really glad to be here, so thank you guys. Yes, thanks so much for having us on. Looking forward to it. Yeah, this is kind of exciting because you guys have partnered up in Colorado, uh, but you both work with uh, with uh, investors, and you're you're very much in the investment game yourself. So thanks so much for for taking the time today to speak with us. Of course, I can't wait to talk real estate, and uh, it's be fun for us to kind of just compare markets and talk shop. So I'm <laughs> pumped. Perfect, perfect. Um, can you maybe start? Maybe we'll start with you, Chris. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? 
Sure. So uh, kind of give you the short story of it. Back in college, I was going on the traditional track of getting a degree, getting a good job, you know, that mantra. Somehow I ended up reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which opened my eyes to investing and entrepreneurship. And I read the book, I think my sophomore year of college, and realized that real estate investing was something I want to get into. And then after starting to read it uh, and get into it, I realized not quite ready to invest in real estate as a you know 20-year-old with not much money in the bank. So I ended up focusing on entrepreneurship and then built a couple of good online businesses, tried some day trading, and was just kind of going through you know, my motions of learning business, learning investing, learning how to manage money, just all those things you have to learn. And had some successes, had my fair share of learning mistakes as well. And then, you know, probably about six or seven years ago, it was time for me to move on from those businesses. And they were not real estate related, but I knew I always want to get into real estate. I come to the conclusion that I like being in, if I want to learn something, I like having a job or starting a business in that industry. I think it's the best way for me to learn. And so I wanted to learn how I could pivot into real estate. So it was time for me to have a new career, something that I was interested and passionate about. I kind of got burned out in my last uh, business. So one thing I can be interested in that also makes sense in my long-term goals of learning real estate investing. So as I bounced around between some stuff, I, I did a fix and flip, made a few dollars, realized I did not care for that. Uh, help, tried to help a friend do some wholesaling. And he's already a very successful flipper. And I was trying to do some online marketing, realized that wasn't my cup of tea as either. As well, and as I was learning about real estate and just talking to people, I realized that the the long term wealth building mechanics was really my my big interest, my big focus. Uh, and so I really wanted to make sure that my career was focused on something I could bring an income now, but that long term focus. I definitely made a mistake when I was in my my twenties, my new businesses. I, I'd make a lot of money, and I didn't do a great job of investing it. So I wanted to have something that would you know merge the two with that long term focus. So I realized that being an agent and focusing on the the rental property aspect and doing that longer term investing strategy, you know, five to seven year plus holds uh, was a right fit for me. So ended up becoming an investor, getting some great traction in Denver, had some great mentors, and then you know I'll kind of let Jenny introduce herself because as we're both on our paths. Uh, you know, we started working together and just a, a great organic partnership partnership for us to work together in Denver in the Springs. Right on. And, and Jenny, uh, can we hear a bit about uh, your path? Definitely. So I started out um, as an accountant by trade. So I did that for about 10 years. And starting in 2016, while I was still working, that's when I started investing in real estate because the light bulb kind of went off that I wasn't going to really gain any wealth just by working a W-2 job. I needed to invest. So um, I started out of state and then I actually started purchasing in-state in Colorado, uh, Colorado Springs specifically. And from there, um, I've been investing in buy and hold properties ever since uh, and did it a variety of ways. I've, I've worked with different financing options, um, procurement options. So those, those have been kind of fun to kind of vary that up a little bit along the way. And uh, as Chris mentioned, um, about two years ago, I started working as a real estate agent. And then earlier this year, we linked up and now we're partnered up on the same team. Right on. It's very rare you find uh, or hear about uh, agents who are accountants in a past life. <laughs> yeah, it's very different. <laughs> <laughs> or accountants that are real estate investors. I guess that's, uh, yeah, no, that's 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 maybe okay. Um, so, all right. So in, in thinking maybe, like, 
I'd love to hear why real estate, like why, how you both fell into real estate. And, and, and maybe not so much as in, in terms of becoming agents, but more on the, as a strategy to, to build wealth and, and, and get to that retirement that everybody's looking for. Sure. Um, well, I'll, I'll jump into this question first. So as I kind of mentioned, I was always trying to figure out how to make my, I learned the concept of the young age of like making your money work for you. And so it's always, that was in my mind of, Hey, how do I make my money work for me? I was right in that generation where defined pensions were going away and, and social security great. It'll probably be there for us, but it's not going to be, you know, living a, a, even a modest lifestyle as, as we get older. So I, at first I tried to do a lot of like active day trading because I realized, Hey, there's more like passive investing and more active investing. So I spent like two and a half years uh, actively stock trading and then actively day trading on the current currency market. And I realized there that like all the time I was putting in there wasn't getting me uh, a good reward on my, my effort. And it was really just another job that was pretty low returns. I was not very good at like most people. <laughs> so that helped that as well. But it made me realize that, hey, I want to find something that, that feeds into longer term income. And also if I put my active energy in there, I can there's different levers I can pull. And with real estate, that's it. If I know, you know, you can follow trends, like on stock market, you have to follow trends within seconds or minutes and hopefully be right. In real estate, it's not so hard to see, okay, hey, great. This part of town's transitioning. What's the next neighborhood over there? Maybe I should just buy there as that starts transitioning. And then you can pull different levers for financing. You can raise range, you can add value and be more of an active investor but at a slower pace, so you can go out there and, and really learn it. So, so my interest came into how can I build a, a long-term re, uh, real estate portfolio? And my goal is to have about $13,000 a month in paid-off income, or I'm sorry, in, in real estate income for just real estate. And, and I figure 13000 is a good number, and then I probably need about 10000 My real goal is at $3,000 as buffer. So I always start with that end goal in mind. And as I was working back towards that goal, I realized, hey, everyone's exit strategy in real estate, whether you're just a regular realtor doing residential deals, whether you're a flipper, whether you're a wholesale or whatever it is, like the exit strategy is having rental properties pay, you know, bringing in cash flow. So I said, hey, rather than having another type of investing strategy to generate that cash flow, let me just solely focus on, on rental investing. And that's what I really focused on is like learning mechanics of it. And then you know, really learning how to adapt it to our current market because there's lots of good information out there nationally from some, you know, great platforms and great educational websites. But after a few months of listening to that, it all comes down to, oh, okay, that 1% rule doesn't quite work in my market. How do I make it work? I'm not going to sit here for five years because other people are getting wealthy. So I started really learning how to adapt to the Denver market. You know, and and it's, it's tough, but I, 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 it's tough talking to two separate people because I want to say, hey, Jenny, why real estate now? But just thinking, and maybe Jenny, you can jump in, but but it, it might be worth kind of talking a bit more about your guys' market because before we went live, we were saying, you know, there's a lot of other podcasts and, and real estate resources out there uh, that talk about, you know, you mentioned the 1% rule and, and you know, different uh, cap rates and, and cash flow that at least in Vancouver and actually in the province of British Columbia, where we we uh, operate, it's just not possible. Like you, could, so if you're if you're if you're using resources and trying to you know wait to to get into the market using those some of those rules, you know you'll you'll be waiting a long time. Can we just talk a little bit more? I guess about uh, your guys' markets. What what 
uh, investments look like on the ground in terms of cap rates and, and cash flow and and then a little bit more about Jenny why you're <laughs> where you're operating what it looks like and and why you were so excited about real estate after after uh, being in the accounting world I'll say this and Jenny go into more details like the the Denver and Springs markets like the trends are all very similar just Denver's a slightly higher price point slightly higher expenses and slightly higher rents, but all the ratios are practically, you know, pretty similar for cap rates, cash on cash returns, and just overall, like, you know, longer returns. So I'll just say that for Denver, then Jenny can jump into details and you can just, you know, add a few dollars to Denver and it's the same rates. Okay. <laughs> um, I guess kind of jumping, you know, in the past a little bit, the reason why I picked Colorado Springs to invest in, and then I can also tell you why I like real estate in general. Um, but I was actually living in a suburb of Denver when I first started investing in real estate. And I, you know, did some observations that, hey, Colorado Springs is a really vibrant market, but it's priced lower. So maybe I have a better chance of meeting this 1% rule, or maybe I have a better chance of of getting a better deal because it's not quite as popular. Um, Of course, this is about four years ago. um, And I think that everyone has started to catch on that, hey, Colorado Springs is an amazing place to invest. So uh, our margins are definitely getting a lot tighter here. Prices are appreciating a lot. I think the last time I looked, it was about 10% um, from last year, the median, uh, uh, the median price keeps rising every single month. Um, same thing uh, as you guys are seeing in Vancouver, uh, really low supply, really high demand. Um, so, you know, things are operating a little bit tight, but that's not to say that there aren't any deals out there. There definitely are. You just have to be a little bit more patient and, and you know, look at kind of things from a holistic standpoint. Um which, uh, you know, that's kind of what we, we recommend that our investors do. Um, in terms of numerically, we're, I would say on average, the average MLS deal is looking at mid five cap. Which mid is, five cap, yeah, wow. which is still pretty attractive compared to here. Uh, can you, <laughs> what's, your, what's your guys' average cap rate up there? Uh, average? Uh, well, I mean, people are really excited about like a, a, a four. Um, wow, okay. Yeah. Like really excited. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a it's a tricky market, uh, especially in the city of Vancouver. We should say um, you can do better in surrounding areas for sure. Can, can we talk? You know, I just am curious, Jenny. You mentioned kind of a holistic perspective. Uh, can you mm-hmm. kind of speak to that a bit? What and unpack that in terms of what you mean? Yeah, and I can I can answer two questions at once with that. How's that sound? Uh, I can answer why I got into real estate investing. So, um, for me, real estate investing has been attractive because um, not only is it something that you can actually tangibly see and 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 hold, you know, um, but also because there's a lot of different components to it. So, not only are you looking at the cash flow each month, and then you know, at the end of thirty years, when your mortgage is done. Now you have a paid off asset. That's really cool, but that's only two components of it. Um, you know, th- there's also tax savings involved, at least in the U.S. there is. Um, and then there's a potential for appreciation. And when you invest in a market that has really strong fundamentals for the for the economy, I think that it's probably pretty reasonable to expect a, a moderate appreciation each year. Of course, there will be fluctuations during 
certain times and everything. But um, if you kind of go into it in that mindset, I think that looking at those four components, so cash flow appreciation, tax savings, and loan pay down, that is a huge return uh, that, that goes towards your initial investment. And then, of course, the best part about it is that you can utilize leverage to purchase the real estate. So if you're going to buy a $100,000 asset, I only have to pay $20,000 into it um, in order to own and control a $100,000 asset that's going to have all these benefits associated with it. And then to add another layer on top of that, it gets even more fun when you start doing more creative strategies such as Burr. Um, For instance, now you can own a $100,000 asset with none of your cash into it. So it's just kind of... uh, it's really fun to, to strategize and there's no one, one right way of pursuing this. So that's why I like it also. And Jenny, we, we've had a lot of people uh, over the years on our program talk about the Burr Method, but for people that are not familiar with the Burr Method, can you unpack that a bit? Absolutely. So it stands for Buy, Renovate, Rent, Refinance, Repeat. So it's basically a methodology of purchasing a property Uh, below market value, fixing it up. So you're doing basically a a flip, but you're holding the property. So you've created equity through your rehab. You get it rented out um, at market rate now that it's in good condition, great condition. Um, And then you turn around and refinance it so that since you've created additional equity through your rehab, you're able to pull out hopefully all or most of your initial capital contribution to that asset. And then the repeat is using that uh, for another, another property and repeating that process. And is that like, I, I know, so in thinking about both of your investment strategies, are, are you primarily using the Burr method? So I had been, um, I had used it for eight properties in Colorado Springs, but Chris and I were just talking about this not too long ago in that I've realized that uh, the tightness of Colorado Springs as a market, because I'm not going out there door knocking and, you know, spending hours a day on the acquisition side of things, I, I don't see much in terms of easily obtainable uh properties that would utilize the Burr method. So I haven't done it in uh, about a year and a half, two years now, because the market is just uh, not really amenable to that at this point for an average investor. And, and are you still, but you're still in the last two years, what what kind of investing are you doing? So we've been primarily just looking at our assets that we've already done the Burr method on. So For instance, uh, we just refinanced three properties that I had already done Burr on. I had already done a cash out refinance. We operated those properties very lean for the past couple of years, and they appraised for significantly more than what they appraised for three years ago. So we just pulled out more cash, um, and we're going to reinvest that cash proceeds into um, just essentially off-the-shelf type properties to invest in so just buy buying and, and holding it sounds like mm-hmm, exactly we put up a lot of work up front and we're just sort of uh reaping the benefits of it now in terms of uh simplicity and everything 
Nice. And, and Chris, I want to I want to bring you back in here because Denver is a is a more expensive market. And like has the are you finding burr method opportunities in in Denver or is that is that tricky as well? No, I mean it, it's similar to what Jenny uh is experiencing on the springs and so it seems like uh Denver's probably about 2 years ahead of springs in terms of just like markets, you know, market trends. Denver's kind of like the the leading edge of the ball or of the trend when it comes to the front range here in Colorado and then college Springs is, is right behind it. So we've been experiencing, it's been really hard to burr here for, I mean, four or five years, uh, just because we have such tight, we're such in like low inventory. Like, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times we've been at like, you know, anywhere from about one to two months inventory and for market house, our size, we should be between about five to six months worth of inventory. So that's like 15, 16,000 properties available on the market versus like five to 7,000, which we've been seeing. And so when you're in a seller's market, you know, everything tends to kind of trade towards a premium. And so it's very hard to find enough stuff, enough meat on the bones. And so there are people out there funding them. But what Jenny said, they are the, the investors who are spending $10,000 a month on marketing campaigns to market to owners directly. They've a lot of times got one or two deals, acquisitions, people, maybe a, a couple VA cold callers. It's really a, a lead generation business. And so for you know a newer investor, which a lot of our investors are, and I think a lot of your investors are as well, they're on the, the newer side and they're more looking for that longer term retirement, not necessarily ready to start a business to generate deals and do what they have to do to like, you know, move quickly and invest all that money and capital up front. So a lot of our strategy is now is like, you know, buying a property that makes sense from a number standpoint. Okay, like, hey, what's what's a good asset class right now that produces, you know, good cash flow in in uh, in areas of town that are appreciating. And so really like we're seeing better cap rates in Denver and in, in multifamilies and attached properties like condos and townhomes. Those tend to be from like, like a low five to a low six cap rate for a relatively turnkey property where a lot of times like detached single family homes are a low four to a low five cap rate, unless you find a place with, you know, a mother-in-law suite or do some room by room rental strategy, which can often get in the, you know, some gray areas for zoning and, and permitting all that stuff. So it has their pros and cons, but um, so a lot of people are, are buying a property that cash flows well, and we like to call it the, the Goldilocks phase right now, where if you remember your story from, you know, a little, little kid where Goldilocks, you know, the porch was too hot, the porch was too cold, and it's just right. Denver, you can still find, buy properties that cash flow at a 20, 25% down payment, uh, and then also have a realistic expectation for appreciation. So we do, you know, variations just like trade-up games of, hey, buy a property in an area where it's in a wave of growth or, you know, and it's a good cash flow area and then ride that, ride that growth. And then, in, you know, three years, five years, seven years, a lot of times you'll see some good equity gain. And we're very big on like optimizing your, your total return on equity with, with our own investments and with our clients and saying, great, if we're seeing, you know, a three to 6% appreciation and it's been more than the last couple of years and some debt pay down, a lot of times people have a hundred to 200,000 or more of equity within five or seven years. So great potential there then to cash out refi and then reinvest those proceeds if it makes sense. But also sometimes if a property value appreciates so much, it makes the most sense to sell and actually do a 1031. And even with all the all the you know transaction fees doing real estate, uh, sometimes that 1031 is a better use of money. You can trade up from a property to uh, you know a, a bigger a bigger unit to increase cash flow and re-leverage up. 
So I can give you a few examples on how, how detailed you guys want to go in, but yeah. that's like the longer term strategy that, that we focus on that works really well in our market. Uh, we'd, we'd love to hear some examples because honestly, the, the description of uh, the Colorado markets you guys operate in sound very similar to Vancouver for a long time. Uh, like the, the Burr method is very challenging here because supply yeah. is so low. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we've been kind of talking about what you just talked about, Chris, in this market for for the last decade nearly. So yeah, examples would be great. So I'll, I'll tell you one that, that I did personally, and this was one of my uh, huge eye-opening experience to me and, and something my mentors really helped me learn. So I, I bought my first rental property ever is actually a house hack is what we call it. You know, hey, live in the property, take your variable, the, the favorable financing, and then move out, convert to a rental. So I bought this property actually in Reno, Nevada in 2010 before I knew anything about real estate. I was still doing my own business. Just prices were so cheap. I was like, hey, I'm going to buy something. I would travel a lot. It'll be my storage unit. So me and my actually business partner, we bought it together you know, for $67,000. And it was selling for $230,000 know, pre-bubble. So just a huge drop off. Got very lucky on timing. Bought it as a foreclosure. We're like, hey, it's so cheap. We can't go wrong with it. Um, lived there for a couple of years, kind of our home base while we traveled, um, and then turned into a rental property. And it would make a few hundred dollars in cash flow every month. But my plan was to never sell this property. Because here's the crazy thing about this. I actually bought this property for a true 0% down payment. Um, because this was back, you know, right around the time, uh, right after like the money markets froze and every bonds were returning, you know, nothing. Uh, the world was very risky and volatile. So one of our family friends, an older retired couple, was just looking to invest money for some stable income. And they gave us 100% financing, 15-year note at 5% down. Wish I bought 10 properties back then with that. But hey, bought one, made sense. It was truly 0% down. So I bought for so cheap for 0% down. It was actually like an infant return on money. My first payment was not actually until that first mortgage payment You know, 60 days later. So it was a truly infant return on paper. Well, fast forward to like 2018, um, it appreciated from sixty-seven thousand to about two hundred thirty thousand dollars, but rents had gone up from about a thousand dollars when I bought it to about thirteen hundred dollars. So you know, a thirty percent increase in rent, but almost a triple increase in value. So I actually looked at doing a cash-out refinance to to pull some money out and reinvest it. But as I was doing it, and I started getting quotes for like you know a fifteen-year or thirty-year cash-out refi. I couldn't make sense like that, but every time I do it, the property becomes a negative cash flowing property. And it took me a while to understand that. And then I started you know, running different analyses and realized that hey, actually selling doing 1031 is the best way because I could pull out you know, $150,000 on a cash out refi, but then it'd be a negative like $3,000 a year in cash flow. So not, not, not a favorable thing, I think, like having a, a negative cash flowing asset to go out there and re- reinvest the money. So then I, I ended up selling a property and my proceeds were about 175 after everything was said and done. And I had a realtor in, in Reno, Nevada to sell it for me. Um, so we got, you know, got a, a good offer, sold at fair market value, walked at $172,000. So I was making about $200 a year in cash flow. And then reinvest that into fourplex via 1031 exchange out here in Denver, where I was now making about $1,000 a month in cash flow. And so the two things I learned in this in this process was, you know, go out there and buy a higher cap rate property and re-leverage. Those were the key things. And even though I'm not looking for, you know, I want cash flow today, but I'm still working and just really building long-term cash flow. And I looked at it, great, I can make, you know, $102 a month in cash flow now or $800 to $1,000 a month in cash flow in the fourplex. But fast forward to when they both paid off, that condo would make me about 
say about ten to $11,000 a year after property management, taxes, insurance, and typical operating expenses, that fourplex is going to make me right around $50,000 a year or like the net operating income for both of them, the NOI. And so from a long-term standpoint, which one's going to get me closer to my ten, you know, my $13,000 a month income? Well, doing that 10, that 1031 trade up was what, you know, really moves the needle for me. Like, Hey, me having $175,000 to invest takes me a lot of time to save up for my, you know, for my paycheck. So learning that game has been really great for my personal strategy and for our clients. And Jenny's doing the same thing down there and she just did a round of cash out refi. So it's, it's kind of looking at the property and depending on how the property performs, interest rate environment, one is usually a clear winner than the other. You, you know, just thinking about, um, you know, Chris, you were in, in Nevada. Uh, I know, Jenny, you started um, uh, outside of Colorado, as I understand, or outside of the, the areas that you were living in at the time, correct? Can Jenny, can yep. you talk a little bit about that process, about how you, uh, how you went about finding markets that uh, were, were good for investing and, and why you're investing closer to home now? Yeah. So um, when I first started investing, I was actually living right outside of DC, which is extremely expensive um, area to invest in. So, you know, you just kind of start to hear, oh, 1% rule, this, this rule, that rule. And you kind of, if you're in an expensive market, you kind of automatically get drawn to uh, the Midwest is, is pretty typical around here. So that's exactly what we did. Um, so we invested uh, in a few properties in the Midwest, um, but uh, that's probably a, a whole other story. But, you know, we just kind of when we purchased a property in Colorado and we compared the performance between the in-state and the out-of-state. And then, of course, looking at that holistic perspective that I had mentioned previously, Colorado was the clear winner. Um, so that's kind of when we kicked it into high gear and, and started investing in, in Colorado. But it's uh, it, it's kind of tempting when you see paper returns elsewhere, and then it's interesting when you when you stop and think about now this is a you know probably a better market long term um, close by, even if on you know it, it appears as if it's more expensive or less profitable um on paper so that's just kind of how we pivoted between the two and i I just want to kind of go back a little bit that's uh, we we were talking kind of about how the burr method doesn't work in kind of both of these markets now and it sounds like a, a lot of what you're doing now is kind of recognizing gaps in the market or areas that are maybe kind of up and coming or or where where you think there's going to be some pretty good uh capital appreciation how do you go about analyzing markets and, and finding those gaps? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, kind of what I look at is the opportunity of uh, the asset not being used to its full capacity in its current state. So, for instance, in Colorado Springs, there's a lot of properties that have really large rec rooms in the basement. And to me, that's a pretty easy win to turn that into another bedroom and bathroom, which will add more value than a rec room would have, but it's for, you know, just a few thousand dollars to add that wall. And, you know, there might be some more costs associated with plumbing and everything, but I think that that is an easy win. So looking at it from that perspective, um, and then as Chris mentioned, Denver is a really good opportunity 
for house hacking. That is probably a, a gap in the market in the sense that affordable rentals is, are getting harder and harder to find. So by utilizing the house hacking method, the owner of that property is able to um, basically, you know, provide housing at what would be a lower expense than if someone were to go out and get an apartment building or apartment unit by themselves while still being able to be a real estate investor actively. Right. And, and so, okay, that, that from one perspective, it's focusing in on the actual asset, right? Uh, maybe, Chris, can you mm-hmm. speak to neighborhoods, how, you, how you're looking for uh, areas of, of Denver, I guess, in your case, that, that are, are attractive uh, and up and coming? Sure. And I'll, I'll preface this because this is something that we talk with our clients about all the time. And it's balancing like, hey, you know, taking some of these these rules, whether it's a 1% rule or I'm targeting a 5.5%, you know, cap rate or cash on cash. And then that's really the math and the science part. But how do you balance the art in there as well? Uh, because those are, you know, you can't always translate these neighborhoods and these bigger trends into a spreadsheet. Or it's, you know, it's very hard to. But we, I'm a very much like a keep it simple, stupid person. That's one of my, my life mottos. Um, and so I, I keep things very basic. And one of my things I focus on is the trend is your friend. Where are things trending? Where is population growth? Where is the path of development? Look at, you know, in like in the United States, you know, we've got some federal programs like Opportunity Zones, which are some federal level tax credits for, or tax incentives for, for uh, you know, bigger money. Very similar to 1031 exchange, but just you can actually uh, get some amazing long-term tax benefits. And then there's some local, you know, uh, state and city and citywide initiatives as well for trying to funnel money, redeveloping areas, you know, areas around hospitals that are redeveloping and just also that next neighborhood. Like there are parts of town in Denver on the west side. Uh, if you look at like west of I-25, you go over there over the west, like there are areas that have, that have popped there where a lot of houses have been purchased, they're scraped, and people put up duplexes to sell off individually through a party wall agreement. Great, you go to another neighborhood, well, people keep getting pushed out into that next area that's more affordable, and it transformed the area. So great, what are those areas that's the next neighborhood over? You can literally drive them down streets and see, oh, there's a dumpster, there's a dumpster, oh, there's a place that got knocked down, they're doing a new build, or they're, they're scraping it, or they're popping the top. And so a lot of it's just very based on, hey, let's keep it simple. Where are things changing? Where are some of these overlays with tax incentives? Where are people moving to? Where is this big thing opening up around here? And a lot of times we see those areas transitioning. And I have a few rules, too, that you know we like to follow. Of, hey, if you, if you buy a house, be at least three houses back from a busy street for ideal. Like right now, doesn't matter. You're going to get top dollar. If your house is right on the freeway, it's marketed as you know convenient, easy access to the highway. Now, when the market eventually <laughs> changes, you might get it's going to be, you know, car. <laughs> I mean, but that's kind of like the joke around here is, you know, hey, this is convenient freeway access. Your 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 backyard is the freeway. Yeah. Um, but we sounds know like that we're all realtors. Will change. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be like that. So we look at things like that. I love this idea of the art. Uh, we've never really framed it that way, but a lot of what we do on the podcast, looking for. Um, uh, kind of up and coming neighborhoods, and uh, it is right. It's that yeah, a spreadsheet takes you only so far, um, but but the art of the the investing strategy is is a great way to put it. Um, what in terms of education? Obviously, you guys are. I mean, uh, 
interested and involved in ongoing education. How how do you guys approach that? Is there uh, are there resources that you find most useful? Um, can you speak a little bit about how how education uh, factors into your business or your investing strategy? So our uh, philosophy for our team is to really be with the investor for the the life cycle of their investing career. So we want to educate people on the basics of investing, whether we're talking about minutiae, something that a brand new investor may never have heard of a term or a a concept. Um, And then we like to also provide localized content on um, different strategies, different ways to grow wealth, different ways to look at your investment portfolio. Um, and then something that uh, Chris's brainchild uh, recently is doing a portfolio analysis. And that's utilizing uh, the same techniques that he mentioned in his Reno um, example to his trade up to his fourplex. So really just taking everything from a holistic, I keep using that word today, uh, but a, a whole you know uh, viewpoint of, of an investor from getting them started to absolutely maximizing the uh, performance of you know a multi-million dollar portfolio. So that's something that we really get excited about and, and helping people with. Awesome. And, and Chris? Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, we were both like, I'll say it from this standpoint, from this, we were both investors first and then became realtors to help our own, you know, career, own education. And because we enjoyed teaching, helping others, like that's something that both Jenny and I really enjoy and why it's such a good partnership with what we have. And so, you know, we educate investors and it's really about like, Hey, let's just, um, you know, go through this process. You can figure, Hey, what are the numbers you want? And understanding that, Hey, this market moves fast. So if a property looks good on the spreadsheet, if it, uh, you know, you walk it, there's no major red flags, don't sit there and analyze it to the nth degree. If, you know, 90% looks great, we call it passes a sniff test. So that way we put the offer in and hopefully get in a contract. But in Colorado, we have a, a state standardized contract and it's basically a fill in the blank for realtors. No attorneys are involved. So it's free for people to put off, for clients to put offers in. And there's numerous out points if, you know, for inspection reasons, HOA reasons, property insurance reasons, financing reasons, if the buyer can terminate mm-hmm. uh, and, and you know, get the earnest money back. So if it passed the sniff test, put the offer, and then really do a deep dive into there. So with new investors, we have to really help them educate so that way they know like, hey, what's that good enough point? Um, and hey, don't just go off this 5.75% cap rate. But hey, if we put this property in, we may have to go over ask, which a lot of times we do in this market. So if it's listed here and we go $10,000 more, understand what it does to your initial down payment, which often increases, you know, $500 to $1,000 uh, $500 initially. And your mortgage might go up by $30, $40 a month. Not a huge difference, but on paper, oh my gosh, $10,000 is a lot of money. So it's helping people understand like, hey, we're, what fits for their box? What fits for their returns? And understanding that, hey, as we, when, it comes to put, when it comes time to put offers, we need to be nimble and act to act fast. So here's how to make a quick decision. And then once we're in our contract, we can slow it down, get all the due diligence, all the lending numbers, and then do a full underwriting and either, you know, kill the deal if it doesn't make sense or move forward with it. So we do a lot of education from that standpoint. And from that longer term standpoint, you know, Jenny and I, we just, I mean, we like to geek out and stuff. We're like, hey, let's learn about this. Let's do this. Let's figure out this. And so like our own interest for running models or running scenarios that also helps us out and helps our clients out. So it's really a blending of like helping our clients make decisions and also just me and Jenny 
getting to have the luxury and the fun of geeking out on on details and spreadsheets. Right, right. Um, can we talk a little bit about kind of pursuing financial independence? And and uh, it, it's clear that you you both are working with a lot of investments or investors that are looking kind of more at like an overall retirement strategy, or they want to build their portfolio. Um, in kind of thinking of your your mottos, keep it simple, stupid, uh, Chris. Uh, are there any simple rules like when looking at like a lot of our listeners are going to try and uh, and are, are trying to outline their their path to financial independence? But I think a lot of people overcomplicate it in a lot of ways. Um, are there some simple rules when a kind of approaching building a portfolio? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Um, this is like one of the things that I, I love talking about. And how do you take this long abstract goal, identify it? And then simplify it. So you're, you're here today. How do I make this line up with my goal in 2035? So I can tell you from the clients we talk with, eight out of 10 people want $10,000 a month. That's the goal people are working towards. And often we ask people, they're like, I'm like, okay, $10,000 a month, what does that mean? Well, they don't know if that means paid off properties with mortgages. They haven't even thought that far ahead. So we say, hey, great. You want $10,000 a month. And usually the simplest method to go forward is what we have modeled numerous times. It makes the most sense is go out there and, and acquire, 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 and buy, 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 and do the trade up or cash out refi. Um, and then once you hit your gross number for rental income, then switch to maybe a debt pay down method, maybe sell a few properties that are your pains in the butt, but reposition your portfolio for like a, that next phase of, re, of your retirement, which is almost like going from like a, a high stock allocation and minimizing that or lowering it and going to a higher bond allocation to make it a little bit less risky in terms of the stock market, that type of similar thought process. So here in Denver, if we want $10,000 a month in income, that really means I need $15,000 in gross rents on paid off properties. So our main rule of thumb, like Denver talks, or I'm sorry, Denver, the Bigger Pockets website talks about the 50% rule that, hey, you know, for every dollar you take in rent, 50% will go towards operating expenses, which are all the expenses that aren't your mortgage debt. So in Denver, we often see properties between like 25 to about you know, 35%. A dollar comes in, a third, 20 to 35% covers uh, operating expenses. So we use the 33% rule for very quick math. So if I want $10,000 a month, divide that by you know, 0.66 and you get $15,000. And then, so we get people focusing on that goal. And then that's the target they're working towards. That's the long-term game. And they have that area to work towards. And it's like, hey, we understand you're, you're buying your first or second property. There's a lot of moving parts on here. So don't quite worry about your seventh chess move or your seventh house you're buying. Just so, hey, that's the target we're working towards. And every year, the thing you need to do is go out there and buy properties, get your foot in the game, and then keep buying more properties and then analyze a property every year to make sure it's opt- you know it's performing well and eventually maybe optimize the equity by cash out refi or selling and trading up. But we like that 33% rule um, to kind of give that ballpark long-term net operating income goal that we work towards. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's worth pointing out um, uh, again and again, and we've talked about it on the podcast, but really starting with that, with the goal, like it sounds like that's the first thing there is, is figure out a, a, an amount you want cash flow every month, you know, down the line and kind of work backwards and and develop the strategy from there. Yeah. And that's been the simplest for us. And I think, you know, 
and I've noticed like when I, when I figured that out, it made me feel better. And I, we have literally talked to lots of clients when they have that, you can just see like their stress taken off their shoulders and they understand, like, Oh yeah, I can achieve that to achieve that. I need like eight paid off properties or I need it's usually eight to 12 paid off properties. Like that's very doable for someone over the next 10 to 15 years to acquire eight to 12 properties. You don't need 300 doors. You don't need, you know, 3000 units under syndication. You just need, Hey, cool. Eight to 10 properties. That is very doable for the average investor, whether you're, you're house hacking or you're just, you know, working and saving your capital and, and buying properties when you can save up a 20% down payment. So it gives people that like that emotion they actually do, which is very important. And then where that art comes into like, Hey, I can do this and it makes sense. And the other thing I'll say on here is when it comes time to look at properties, we've noticed people get a lot less tripped up over like, Oh my gosh, this is a 5.5 cap rate versus a 5.7 cap rate. I'm not going to kill the property because of my hard and fast 5.75 cap rate. You know, in the long run, this makes sense because it, it moves me towards that goal mm-hmm. and helps people take action. Right. And thinking about taking action, like I'm curious uh, about Denver specifically because we – well, Denver and Colorado more generally, it seems like it's one of the hot spots in, in the US and it has been for a while now. We're, we're talking here about – I feel like a couple of the things that kind of have come up or are bubbling under the surface here are, you know, uh, analysis paralysis, uh, you know, not actually acting uh, and this idea of, hey, just start acquiring, like have the goal, start acquiring over the next eight to 10 years. How do you guys um, approach kind of timing the market and specifically thinking that Colorado has been frothy for a while? Um, now you're, you're talking about multiple offers and paying over asking price, which is kind of a fairly consistent thing that goes on here in Vancouver as well. Um, and has been for years, but, but also specifically thinking about 2020, um, which is obviously an exceptionally, um, uncertain time and, and yet real estate seems to be performing so well. So can you talk a little bit about how you approach, um, uh, timing markets? Or do you at all? Yeah. Um, so I I don't recommend timing the market. I I don't think that you'll ever win doing so. I think that um, you know I guess you probably hear a lot of people talk about the dollar cost averaging approach, just buying a property once a year, once every other year, and just basically de-risking it that way. So I wouldn't really necessarily worry about timing the market. I you know I do make sure that. Uh, properties are cash flowing. I think that's incredibly important, and it's the first mm-hmm. layer of safety. I would I would call it. Um, you know, Chris and I have a have had a conversation about uh, you know planning for the worst in case you know this is a, a bubble or something, which we don't think that it is, but just in case, uh, you know, I think it's important to have that that cash flow to protect you from from buffers in that stance. Also, to have cash reserves. Also, to make sure that you have equity, assuming that that values hold. Um, so we really just, you know, kind of want to look at things from a safety perspective. And if, if your property is safe in that respect, I would say move forward with it. Um, and, and don't get tripped up over $10,000 here or there. It's not going to matter so much in the long run if you're positioning yourself from a position of strength, as well as having a long-term mindset on it. Can, can we talk a little bit about the teams that you've built over time? Like, so uh, who who is on, like, in, in terms of your investments, are you managing these properties yourself or do you have a property manager? 
um, who's who's uh, operating on your behalf. And can you talk about other other members of your team um, when you're when you're buying these investment properties? Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> Chris Chris wants to smack me every time I say this, but I self manage my properties. Um, so <laughs> I, I like the sense of control that it gives me uh, in terms of being able to make sure that we're selecting. Uh, the optimal tenant f- to occupy the home. Um, but in terms of uh, rehabs or uh, things that break down while the tenant is living over there, I, I do not do any of that myself. We outsource that um, to, to someone who's qualified to do so. So that's kind of um, the operating uh, perspective uh, for my portfolio. But I'll let Chris talk about how he does it and then um, how, how our entire team is structured. So I, I there, there's two main things when it comes to to management properties that's kind of made me uh, a big advocate for myself and most of our clients get property management. My first one is I'm always about like I'm not worried about losing a few dollars here. I'm worried about like the big event that could like financially wipe me out. You know, a a a massive lawsuit for liability or being over leveraged, having enough cash from the bank. I'm worried about those things, not a couple dollars here and there a year. Like you know, hundred dollars a month right now is not going to make or break me. If it's going to make or break any real estate investors out there, you shouldn't be investing <laughs> yeah, right now. Yeah, that, right. that small margin, that's just part of business. You can't pro forma that in there. And so I look at like, hey, a property manager, it minimizes minimize my chance so I don't F things up basically. So I don't do something silly. Like in that very first condo I bought, I moved out and, and that was the one time I self-managed. And I said, no pets. <clears throat> and then someone applied with a service animal. And my initial reaction was like, oh, that's a pet. I don't want it. Well, in the U.S., that's not a pet. That's a service. That's a uh, American with Disabilities Act. It's the same thing as the wheelchair for people that they need to get around. So that can be you know, a, a big fine. And also, it's just not right for the person as well. So that was a, a scary moment for me. Like, you know what? I need to make sure I don't just screw it up on here. The other thing is, you know, I can manage all my properties within, you know, usually like 10 minutes a month with the, a few text messages and emails, a quick phone call with my property managers. Now, if I manage it, my if I manage it myself, I get about you know one more month's worth a year, you know, because in, in Denver it's usually about to ballpark it. Like if you hire property management, they'll take about one month of rent per year per property to cover their fees and lease up fees. Well, for me to have to then you know deal with more you know tenant showings, tenant screenings, this or that, it's you know it will take some more time. It's also all that mental energy I put out there as well. So I I have two young kids. I'm very busy with my real estate business as well. So for me that to me that that maximizes my maximizes my overall return. Where hey I get more time to either enjoy life or go out there and and continue to build our business, which is a greater return on my time and just overall money as well. So I, those are two things I really look at, and I find a lot of investors too. Like the other thing is like long term. How do you scale? Um, and you can only self-manage so means until you hit a point where, hey, you have to bring in someone or self-manage. Um, and to go to a very like take a left turn to a very like sober moment for me as well in, in just life in general is like one of my mentors out here, uh, name is Charles Roberts. Like he was my main mentor out here in Denver, just a very successful investor, agent. He helped build the, the brokerage that Judy and I are at. He's just been like a, you know, a, a pillar in the investing community for like 15 to 20 years. Well, a couple of years ago, he had a brain aneurysm, you know, which was not planned for, and they were self-managing their properties and there are all sorts of issues. And again, that minimized my risk. Like I never want to, but I worry about the like, hey, I drive home and hit by a bus. What does my family do? And that minimizes that longer term like risk for me and makes me not lay awake at two o'clock in the morning, like worrying about 
you know, these, these one in a million events as well, which is what my mind does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are, those are some great answers. Um, maybe kind of wrapping up here. Uh, we've talked a little bit about, uh, education and, uh, I know it helps, uh, we're the same as you guys, like on the ground realtors, uh, which I think is like just by the nature of the business is kind of an ongoing, uh, education day in day out of of what's going on and market trends and everything else but is there a a book you would recommend anyone listens to uh like the first book they should read or the best book they should read so i i absolutely love um the 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 two books that come to mind first is cashflow quadrant and then the book on managing rental properties uh, because I like to self-manage. And I think that that book was kind of more of a tactical approach to everything. Whereas um, Cashflow Quadrant was interesting because it opened my eyes to kind of the different types of um, ways of, of operating, you know, either as a business, an investor, self-employed or employee. And it was just kind of eye-opening as I was, in the E quadrant at that point, um, hoping to jump into the I. I guess now I've moved down to the S. So we'll see. We'll see eventually when I can get over to that B quadrant. But um, <laughs> I thought those were pretty interesting. Right on, Chris. Um, so I, I turned around and looked at my bookshelf because I think obvious, you know, is indicative to where I'm at in life right now. I agree with Jenny. Like, um, Rich Dad Poor Dad Cash Flow Quadrant is a great book. Little lacking on details, but it's great for that concept, conceptual mindset shift. But I think a great book is just Set for Life uh, by Scott Trench, who's the CEO of Bigger Pockets now. I like this because you know this is one of the few books that actually kind of takes you know talks about the the whole global financial picture for individuals with real estate being a big component. But I think that's a really good like high level overview for people kind of get help them figure out for their their budgeting, their real estate investing, their stock and you know their stock investing, all that. I think that's a phenomenal book for people to read. Both great recommendations. Um, what is one piece of advice that you would give your 18-year-old self? <laughs> that is like literally my favorite question. So, <laughs> well, um, Maybe we'll start with you then, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I always ask that question. I've never been asked that myself. So this is, this is going to put me in the spotlight. I like it. Um, I think my 18-year-old myself has just realized – you're 18. Life is really, really long. Um, so really think long term and just really be patient and realize that, hey, it's hard to get rich in five years. It's a lot easier to get rich in 20 years. So really be patient and know that, you know, play the long game when it comes to investing and just life in general, but really be patient, play the long game. Right on. And, uh, and Jenny? So I think mine's probably a bit, a little bit narrowly focused more so than, than Chris's, but um, you know, I think back to when I was in college and if I was 18 and knew about the concept of house hacking, I think that my life would have been dramatically different than it is now, at least from a financial standpoint. Um, I think that would have been a powerful way to kind of propel early adulthood, I think. I agree with that a lot, Jenny. I may, I may change my answer now. <laughs> the math is hard to beat on that one. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to put my hat in your camp, Jenny. I like that. 
<laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, last question for you guys. What is something that you've purchased in the last year or two for under $1,000 that has greatly improved or transformed your life? Um, can I can I take this to total left turn direction? This is the first thing that popped in my mind. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I I'm very much the mantra of like trying to simplify things. Actually, the, the best thing for me was you know I, I bought a you know the new iPhone for around 1100 bucks two years ago. The best thing I started doing about 18 months ago is I completely deleted social media. I took emails off my phone and I truly use it for for phone calls, text messaging, and GPS. And that greatly reduced my stress and allowed me to like get more work done and actually spend higher quality time with my family. So from like a high level thing for just like the, the biggest thing I've done, that's been it because nothing monetarily pops my mind, but it's actually taking something away that actually improved my quality of life and investing. So, so just so I understand, you've taken email off your phone as well? Oh, yeah. Cool. I, I've taken email off my phone. I've taken uh, social media off my phone because I found what I, what happened with email was I would often be like, you know, getting ready to record a podcast or home with my kids and I would open my email. And all the emails I get, it's hard for me to respond on my phone because it might be a spreadsheet to review. I have to pull up a property and I review it, read the email. I can't do anything about it and kind of get my, my mind in two places. Yeah. So reviewing and act, uh, getting rid of it has actually allowed me. So now I, you know, I spend a few, I block out time a couple times a day to check my emails and respond to text messages. But it's allowed me to be a lot more efficient through my workflow and just really reduce my stress and mental clutter and just made me, uh, my wife will tell you, a happier person, a lot less stressful and, and snappy. Well, I bet with social media, like I feel like I'm kind of maybe a tenth of the way to where I need to be, which is deleting that entirely. But um, Still I, very snappy. <laughs> yeah. But I, I've put a limit on a 15-minute limit, I think, a day on Twitter, yeah. uh, which I – consistently go over but man it it every time i look at that it makes me unhappy i'm not sure why i twitter. keep doing it twitter specifically but uh, a lot of negativity on twitter a lot of anxiety well there's a lot of negativity everywhere and i i, I used to try to do that with emails and social media i realized like i simply can't do it right. whether you know because I, I think they do program those things to be addictive but i just i realized you know what like i keep saying i'll do this i can't do it so i just need to like I'm either I'm either like all you know I'm either all in or all out. I have a very hard time like living in the middle and putting boundaries on myself. Um, so I'm just like I gotta completely get rid of it. And I went through like 60 days of pretty hardcore withdrawal. Like it was very interesting, um, but it, it's been been phenomenal from a quality of life and just like a, a business standpoint. And I think it's actually worked out better for clients as well because when I do talk with them or communicate with them, I'm a hundred percent focused on them either on the phone call or responding to their email. It's, it's total, you know, all my focus right then and there on them. And just, I'm just curious, Chris, do you actually now not having social media on your phone, do you actually use social media like on your computer or your laptop? You spend a lot more time on your laptop? <laughs> no. I, sp- I mean, I spend a lot of time on my laptop in general doing just, you know, all this stuff. But I, it's, it's almost like I, I probably log on social media like maybe at most once a month. Oh, that sounds um, great. Yeah, and just because the only reason I still have a Facebook account is so I can have a Facebook page and an Instagram business page and actually run ads on there. If I didn't, I would delete those. Yeah. The one social site I spend time on is Bigger Pockets. I love their networking, or I'm sorry, their forum feature on there because that is more like it's all real estate. I don't get sucked into like people from high school or, or silly political mm-hmm. drama going on Facebook. I just get to talk real estate that's focused on Denver and some other keywords I like. And I get to like, Put my share, you know, share my thoughts, reach from other people, 
And that's the one social media channel I really do enjoy because it's, it's longer form content. And it's also completely focused on real estate and it's generally positive news, right. so like, you know, critical thinking skills. So that's the one side I spend time on. Wow. We were talking about actionable items before we went live here. And, uh, the, the one, the one that I'm taking away in the next 10 minutes after this call is deleting, I'm deleting some stuff from my phone. <laughs> You've what, been inspired. What, yeah. I've been inspired. What about you, Jenny? <laughs> oh, mine's a lot less profound and way more materialistic than Chris's answer. But I was thinking while, while he was talking about something that has been purchased in the past year that I, you know, that has made a change in my life. And it's a little silly, but I would say uh, the baby Brezza. It's a like basically a Keurig for babies baby formula. Um, and that has saved me a lot of uh, frustration and uh, some added back some sleep. So that would be my answer for that. Wow. I've never heard of that. I have a, I have a one and a half year old and I, the ba- the, what's it called? The it's a little late kid? for you maybe. Yeah, it might be. Yeah. Ba- baby Brezza. Baby Brezza. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Ah, that's a great one too. <laughs> Perfect. I don't know if I can put that into action in the next yeah, 10 yeah. minutes, but <laughs> both have inspired Matt. Uh, so let's, uh, Let's maybe end on uh, how can people – a lot of people from our, our who listen to our program are definitely going to want to uh, follow you and, and, and kind of see what you guys are doing and, and possibly get in touch. So how, how can people get in touch with you, Jenny and Chris? I would say the easiest way is just – I mean uh, we're, we're an open book with everything. We publish a lot of the content on the website. So just envisionrea.com. So E-N-V-I-S-I-O-N-R-E-A for real estate advisors. EnvisionRA.com is, is a great content on there or a great content on there. And then also you can just email Chris at EnvisionRA or Jenny, uh, J-E-N-N-Y at EnvisionRA and they can email both of us. Fantastic. Well, well, thanks so much, guys. That was a, a really enjoyable and insightful conversation. And I think our listeners are really going to take away a lot. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much. This was fun. Thank you so much. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with Jenny Bayless and Chris Lopez. Really enjoyed that conversation with Chris and Jenny. And I think that uh, having people like them, like upbeat, energetic investors – it's inspirational. Inspirational. Great. Just great talking to them, man. Energy, energy matters. Yeah, energy definitely matters. And the other thing is, is that immediately after we had them on the show, you deleted social media from your phone. I did. We So we talked to these guys almost a month ago now. So right. I would say you're, you're so, five or six at weeks. At some almost. point in November, uh, after we hung up on from that call, I deleted Instagram, yep. Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, the YouTube app. Uh, yeah. Don't ask me why. Uh, I deleted all that. I didn't. I still have my email and, and everything. But right. uh, and I have not been uh, the two worst offenders. I would say are Twitter for me and uh, Instagram in terms of time wasters and Twitter making you feel like just terrible. Yeah, um, Twitter is Twitter sucks. I have not been on either of them. Uh, for over a month, even on a on a desktop, and uh, I can say, not only do I not miss them, much happier. Instagram is another thing too. I think I, for some reason, I'm not even 
like neither of us are big on Instagram, but our, I, I do feel the need business, to like really a watch just click us. on those stories. Like it's like it's not a it's not a thing, really. Yeah, the death. What do they call that? The something scroll on Twitter where you just constantly reloading you, while you're doing other stuff. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. Like a, it's like a forced multitask thing that doesn't make sense and a time waster. And I I actually find now that I'm looking at my phone going like, oh, I got I actually have nothing. Nothing, no emails. Nothing, nothing left Nobody to do called. here. Nothing. <laughs> like, what's wrong with this? Yeah, it's wrong. But I'm not staring at it. And, uh, you know, no news is good news in my mind right now. So yeah. uh, it's uh, it's been a huge change. So I'd encourage everybody at I least might over do the it holidays. In the new year. At least over. Oh, no. Yeah. Come on. The new year yeah. is not going to work. Do it over the holidays. Yeah, Matt. Definitely delete social media, but also head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Yeah, we don't have an app, so <laughs> focus on VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is where all things real estate live. We have things like the Live Wire. This is our weekly mailer. This is where you get stats before anyone else. Stats that you can't get uh, from the real estate board. Sub markets, price bands. We also have the deal of the month. Yes. This is, there's no reason why you don't want to be on this list. We also have tried and true private client services. And Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information. It is our gift to you. In Merry Christmas. season. Happy yeah. holidays. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that. If you want to talk about that. The Sellers Club, PCS, the Livewire, anything real estate at all, or anything really, give me a call, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also got that secret line, info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. So stay safe, everyone. Stay home and uh, enjoy the holidays. And uh, we will see you next week. Take care. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? 
Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. 